Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Matt Agee, and I'm the pastor of Young Adults and Connections here at Grace Church, and I'm, I'm just so thankful that you're here. Thank you for driving down to church today to be with us. Maybe it's one of, your, one of your first or second times, or maybe you've been here for just a number of years. Just thank you. I'm just happy. I'm very, very happy to, uh, to be with you today. Uh, as we continue to worship, let me encourage you to take your Bible in whatever form you have it, and you can find with me John chapter 5. John chapter 5. Go there with me, please. And just a couple of things as we, uh, as we get started here. You'll need, um, as you came in today, you saw a, a note sheet that was on that table right there in the middle. Uh, you can hop up and grab that. It won't bother me if you go and grab it now. Or um, also on the Grace Church app, Grace DSM, you can find the Grace app, the Sunday tab. The Sunday tab, your first selection, you'll see the notes for today. That'll be a good guide as we just work through uh, this lengthy uh, passage of Scripture that we have today. Also want to mention, uh, we're kind of going back to this, uh, I guess you could just say a regular practice uh, here at Grace, the, uh, the Grace Church Care Card. This is that blue card that's right there in front of you. We would love uh, Grace Church members, attenders, uh, just anyone here to take this and uh, give us a little bit of information. You can put a prayer request there, and, and uh, we would like, love to gather those up and to pray for you. There'll be a plate that's passed at the end of the service, and you can place that in there, Grace Church Care Card. That's kind of one of the ways we ask that you participate with us on a, uh, on a Sunday. And so you can find that, find that there. John chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 31 to 47. So we're back in John's gospel. We took a break last week, as we heard from uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Brother John Honeycutt, one of our missionaries. And so we're back in John's gospel, which means that uh, we are, we're taking uh, the opportunity we have as we study the gospel according to John, friends, each and every week is that our hearts get trained in the knowledge that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, unique, exclusive, one of a kind, all of his own. He never lets us get away from that. He never lets us get away from the fact that there is, uh, as we'll see in this passage, as we keep seeing throughout John's gospel, that there is, there, is a, there is one Father, and He has one Son, and it's Jesus in the flesh. And our hearts are going to keep just being trained in, in the fact that He is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in Him, by simple trust in Him, by coming to him with the empty hands of faith, with, with coming to Jesus Christ, with the Jesus Christ that has defeated every sin so that now he is, he is confirmed, he is, he is right to be the one that we can throw our every burden at. Well, that's good news. If you're a piece of work like me, that's good news. We can hurl everything at Christ. So if you came in today and it's just, it's, it's, it's just man, whoo, I'm empty. That's great, because all Jesus has got is fullness. What does Jesus have? Everything you need, always. So it's a great place to, it's a great place to be today. And so as we believe in him, we have life in his name. That's the purpose of the book. I just quoted John 20, verses 30 and 31. So we have life in his name as we trust in him. Well, what kind of life is that? It's the only kind of life that matters, eternal life. I'm not, I'm, I don't, I'm not concerned anymore. I don't, to be a Christian says this, I don't care what kind of life the world has to offer. I don't care. It will not do it. It will not satisfy. It, it'll, it'll overpromise. It'll underdeliver. It'll take more of me than I ever wanted. I'll feel guilty. I don't want it. I want the life Christ gives. And so as we study John's gospel, we get schooled in this. Each week, brothers and sisters, come back. We get to go to school again in the life and in the faith that we have, um, that we have in Jesus. And so I invite you today to this incredible passage. So as I said, we're going to isolate our study today, verses 31 to 47, which is really, uh, part, really part three of a three-part 
sort of mini-series, I guess you could say, in John chapter 5. So let me just kind of catch you up with where we've kind of been in this incredibly important chapter that'll contribute to our um, seeing Jesus in this, in this kind of way. In John chapter 5, here's a couple things that have happened. One, at the beginning of the chapter, we see that Jesus, um, Jesus uh, uh, completes one of his signs the works that uh, these miracles Jesus performs in John's gospel. He calls them signs. More on that in just a little bit. He, he, completes one, he, he completes one of these by healing a man who's been paralyzed for 38 years, and he has the audacity to look at this man on the Sabbath of all days and say, pick up your mat and walk. Now, to the Jewish religious leaders around Jesus, that's a no-no because he's working because he's carrying his mat. Is that really the, was that really the spirit of the law on the Sabbath? No. It's always, good to do, it's always a good thing to do good on the Sabbath. Okay. And so he tells him to take up his bed and walk. This creates, second, opposition from these Jewish leaders that are watching Jesus do this in this very public place. It was a pool uh, around the city of Jerusalem. This is all the first few, chapter, first few verses of chapter 1. That then leads Jesus to make some incredible statements. You'll see in verse 17 of chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus answered them, my father has been working until now. That's right, he's been upholding the universe, and I have been working. So Jesus says, what the Father does, I do. Okay, so they're starting to clue in with what this guy, what this guy is saying. From there, Jesus uses this to deliver this really long discourse. So if the Bible that you have, either on your device or just, just a hard copy Bible, is like mine and the words of Jesus are in red, what you'll notice is, starting in verse 19 all the way to verse, verse 47, it's all in red. Right? Because it's just this long discourse that Jesus gives. It's as if Jesus is preaching to us who he is and the claims that he makes. And so we get to listen in on it. And as he's doing this, he makes these outrageous claims about himself, starting in verse 19, going all the way down to verse 30. The claims are basically this. Number one, I and the Father are one. What you see the Father doing, you see me doing. We are, we are co-essential. We are one in the same. I am God. It's a statement of divinity. Number two, he makes the claim, I have the power to raise the dead. Claim number three, I, Jesus says, have the authority to judge everyone. Okay. Now, these are outrageous claims. Friends, they must be understood as such. I and the Father are one. I have power to give life to anyone and I have the authority to judge everyone. That's what he says in verses 19 to 30. Now, that's, that's, I mean, that's crazy, right? Hold on to that idea of outrageous claims made by Jesus. The kind of claims that as we get to the end of our message, we're going we're to decide this together. We can reject Jesus on the basis of what he says. We can despise Jesus on the basis of what he says. We can bow our knee to Jesus on the basis of what he says. Here's just one thing we can't do. Ignore him. Nobody who says the kinds of things Jesus says and does the kind of things Jesus does can be ignored. Attested to by an eyewitness, carried in a book, translated over the centuries, preserved for us here today. You just can't, you can't trust, you just, you just cannot do it. Outrageous claims he makes. It is true no one ever spoke like this man. These are the kind of claims either made by a crazy person, made by a very dishonest liar, in which case Jesus is not a good man, or made by God Almighty. Made by exactly who Jesus says that he is. They are, in every sense, the kinds of claims that ought to get you crucified. John chapter 5, verse 18. Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him. 
kill him because not only did he break the Sabbath, but also he had, but also said God was his father, making himself equal with God. Now, the claims Jesus made, here's what they need. They need verification. They need witnesses. Jesus needs to call forth witnesses to verify his claims. That's what he does in our passage, passage today. The title is Witnesses for Belief. You see there on your notes, we've got two big headings. First, Jesus is going to tell us there are reasons we ought to believe him. And then he's going to say there are reasons we do not believe him. Both are crucial for us to understand. Those are the two big headings. That's our framework today. There are reasons to believe Jesus. There are reasons that we do not believe Jesus. So let me, let me ask you this, just by show of hands, a little bit of audience participation. That's all I'm going to ask you to do uh, besides sitting and listening today. Thank you. First, I want you to raise your hand if you have received the call uh, to report for jury duty. Just to report. Anybody? Most. Uh, not as many in the first service. I don't know what that tells me, but yeah. Okay, good, great. Okay, how about this? So question number two. How about if you, uh, my hand will go up for this one too, if you were selected to serve as a juror? Anybody? Okay, a few of us. All right, we can commiserate after the service. Okay, cool. Um, so I, I was 20 years old, and I got, and I was, and I was, uh, I showed up, and they fed me a free lunch, and it was really great. And they said, come back the next day, and they picked me. I think because of my age, I was young. I think they wanted a younger representation. That was my, that's my guess. I was actually the foreman, so I got to stand up and say, we have your honor. And uh, it, was a lot, it was a lot of fun. It's my, if I have one moment of fame in front of a setting like that, that was it. But whatever, whatever our experience is, what we do have is all, we all at least have pictures and our minds of, of courtroom dramas, that sort of thing, when a judge looks at the defense or the prosecution and says, call your witnesses. That's what Jesus is going to do. And he's going to say, these witnesses aren't for me. I know who I am. Nobody has to, t- nobody has to tell Jesus who Jesus is. But he's going to say, I do it for your sake. I want to play ball. You want things confirmed on the, on the council of two or three witnesses? That's what we'll do. And then, friends, he's going to tell us why we do not believe, and we'll call it all to a response at the end. Would you, uh, would I, can I invite you to stand? Let's read, let's read this passage together, and we'll get into it. Thinking about reasons to believe and reasons we do not believe. Let's start in verse 31. And I want you to listen for the usage of the word witness or the usage of the word testimony in some form. Just listen as I read. It's a lengthy passage. Just, uh, just, just follow along with me as I read. John chapter 5, starting in verse 31. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There is another who bears witness of me, and I know that his witness, which he witnesses of me, is true. You have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Yet you do not receive, yet I do not receive testimony from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. But I have a greater witness than John's, for the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works I do, bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. And the Father himself, who has sent me, has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his form. But you do not have his word abiding in you, because whom he sent, him you do not believe. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness of me, which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive honor from men. But I know you, that you do not have God's love in you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. How can you believe 
who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God. Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you trust. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Pause for a brief prayer. Lord Jesus, we pray that what we know not, you would teach us. What we have not, you would give us. What we are not, you would make us. As we work these things out, and I pray for all the grace I need to do so, that you would work good things into us, all that we need today to obey and trust you. We've chosen the place of of Mary at your feet. Lord, give us all the things that can never be taken away from us as your faithful disciples. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Everyone said together, Amen. amen. Take your seats, friends. Thank you. Thank you. Jesus calls witnesses that give us reason to believe the outrageous claims that he makes. Witness number, well, let, let's, let's pause for just a second. Let's, let's think about why he does this. Uh, look with me in verse 31. He says in verse 31 why he's doing this. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. Now, we ought to pause right there and think. Uh, Jesus was sinless, so everything he said was true. He never said anything false, correct? Right? Okay, so when he says my witness is not true, the things I'm saying... Um, Uh, So what he can't mean is my words as I speak them are false in and of themselves. He never spoke a false word. What he must mean is they're not true in another sense. They're not true to his audience. And I just said it kind of a minute ago to kind of get us going. This idea of true has, this whole passage has legal overtones. And what was required um, in, Jew, in Jewish, first century Jewish prudence, and it's still, this is, Amer- this is Western uh, Jewish prudence, uh, what, how did a claim need to be verified on the basis of what? One or two witnesses, right? Or three or four. So in other words, a claim couldn't just stand on its own. You had to confirm it by someone else. So again, Jesus says, I don't need this. He actually says in verse 34, yet I do not receive the testimony of man. Like, look, I don't need these testimonies to confirm me. He says in the rest of verse 34, but I say these things that you may be saved. It's for our benefit. It's for their benefit. So Jesus is going to call witnesses to verify these outrageous claims. He lists the first one in verse 32. Verse 32, there is another who bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. Now, I I asked you a minute ago to just notice the usage of the word witness. Just look again at verse 32. There's one, two, three. I mean, the way verse 32 reads in our English Bibles, it's almost awkward. I mean, he is going out of his way to put the idea of a witness in front of us. And so that's, that's the main idea. Now, we're not, Jesus is a little bit ambiguous in verse 32 with this first witness. There is another. The other four that he gives are much clearer. My, my edu- which I hope is an educated guess and what others confirm, is that verse 32 is a reference to the Father, a reference to the Father, who all the way through John chapter 5 is always in view as the Father and the Son have this unique relationship with one another. There is one God, he's a Father, and that Father has one Son, and I'm it. Jesus never lets us forget that. He never goes long without reminding us of his exclusive relationship to the Father and his exclusive saviorhood and lordship. He, Jesus will not let us think, you've got options. You've, you've, let me say it again. You have options, they just all lead to his throne. Right? There's all kinds of ways. You, you, can, you can try this, you can try that, you can be a Buddhist, you can be whatever you want to. But we're all going to Jesus, right? Because there's one father and there's one son. And so he never lets us go far. And so it seems like this is the witness of the father. He then moves on to verse 33 and gives us four clear witnesses. So friends, let's go through four witnesses that give us reason to believe Jesus. First, number one, John gives reason. 
John gives reason. See this in verses 33 and 35 as we talk about John the Baptist. John the Baptist, Jesus' is, um, Jesus is pretty wacky, pretty unique cousin. You have sent to John, he says. He has borne witness to the truth. Yet I do not receive the testimony from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. Look how he describes John the Baptist in verse 35. He was a burning and shining lamp. You bet he was. And you were willing to rejoice in his light for a time. John gave witness. I'll say that he did. John the forerunner, paving the way. What's a lamp do? What's a light do? It shows you which, well, you can do all kinds of things, but it can certainly show you the way you ought to go. And that was John the Baptist's entire purpose. John's whole purpose is to take his, you know, honey-stained finger out there in the desert and point. That's all John ever did. Point. So preparing the way after 400 years of Old Testament silence, like John the Baptist is like the culmination of all the prophets who have been saying, he's coming, he's coming, prepare the way. John has the unique privilege of looking live and in person and pointing his finger right at Jesus and saying, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What a ministry. He's consistently saying, it's not me, it's him. I can't untie his sandals. These leaders did send for John. That's a reference to chapter 1, verses 7 to 34 of John's, of John's gospel, where John says this, I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. John testified. John testified. This is God's Son. And they were willing to rejoice in his light. Now notice this at the end. You were willing for a time. Verse 35. What happened to John? Nothing good. He gets his head lopped off. Because he spoke, he spoke the truth and he testified about Jesus. John gives reason. Second, friends, second, we see that the works of Jesus give reason. The works, Jesus' works give reason. See this in verse 36. But I have a greater witness than John's. For the works which the Father has given me to finish. Pay attention to the word finish. Very important. The very works that I do bear witness of me, what specifically? That the Father has sent me. He won't let us off the hook. There's a father, there's a son, I'm sent, I'm your option, that's it. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which you can be saved. It's just always, it's just you don't, don't believe the cultural lie that you've got options that'll get you to some great place. You get to some great place, you get to the father through the way, the truth, and the life, that's it. He just won't let us forget it. The works of Jesus, these refer to the miracles in John's gospel, what are called signs. Pastor Phil's been talking about this, signs. In particular, there's seven of them that he performs that are very distinct up to chapter 11 when he raises Lazarus from the dead, which is, of course, a prefigure to the greatest sign when he would walk out of the tomb himself. And these signs are, they're more than we, we, when Jesus, including the miracle in chapter 5 of Jesus healing this man who'd been paralyzed for 38 years. Did you ever notice that the miracles of Jesus, there's no rehabilitation when he heals someone? They're just instantaneous. You ever notice this? That's how you know he's not a huckster. That's how you know, I mean, right? He just does it. The guy just gets up. That's divine power, right? Okay, so when Jesus performs these miracles, the intention, they're, they're, they're supposed to point beyond themselves, aren't they? Jesus is not some street entertainer at a carnival or on a roadside trying to get oohs and ahs from a crowd for personal glory. He's trying to teach us something about himself. When he heals this man, he, he says, he says I, 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 I can do more than just heal your body. He, when, he, when he turns water into wine, 
He turns water into wine. He says, I, I am the one who brings joy. I am the bridegroom. And your life with me can be like the best wedding reception you've ever been to because out of your heart will throw livers, rivers of living, living water. That's what I do for people. I bring them joy. I bring them life. Friends, he saves. He restores. Jesus gives us our lives back. We wrecked it in Adam, and the second Adam raises it back up. And every sign says that. When you go, uh, when, you, when you look at a, it was really, we were on vacation a few weeks ago and we, we had to drive a little bit. And so every time, uh, we had our two oldest children with us. And every time we got to like a new state sign, for them that was like this really cool thing. You know, Missouri. It's like, what? Who cares? Missouri. <laughs> Tennessee. That's cool. Well, when you come up to a sign, you don't stop and look at, I know it's kind of, you can take a picture of the sign on your road trip, that's all fine. But you don't park at the sign, you keep going. Friends, we follow the signs. We follow them up to the truth about Christ and about why we ought to trust him. Do you notice how he says the works that I was given to finish? Do you see that there in verse 34? Or 36, excuse me, finish? This is important. In John 17, verse four, Jesus says this, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. All done. And then, not long after, as he's hanging on the cross, dying in my place and your place to pay for our sins, he says, it is, what's the word? Finished. It's all done. It's all done. And that's really good news because you and I have not done half of what we needed to do. But when we trust in Christ, all of his good works are given to us so that we stand righteous with the very righteousness of God before God himself because Jesus performed in our place. God was, Jesus was given works to finish that confirm he was sent by God. Friends, second, the works testify. Number three, number three, the father gives reason we should believe Jesus. The father himself gives reason that we should believe Jesus. Now, I think the father is in view throughout most of the passage, going all the way back. You, were, you, could, just, you could just go back up to verse 24, go down to verse 30. He's talking about how the God gives him life in himself. He's the son of God. And of course, he makes this famous, very famous statement that gets him into all the trouble that launches the rest of the passage in verse 17. But Jesus answered them, my father has been working until now and I am working. And they heard what Jesus meant when he said this because we read in verse 18 again, therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him. Because not, only was, because not only did he break the Sabbath, but he also said God was his father. So they got it. Making himself equal with God. Jesus never said he was God. Well, these guys sure did think he said that. So much so that they, they think he's committing blasphemy. They, well, that's, cap, that's capital offense. Unless it's true. Unless it's true. The father gives witness. Again, friends, Jesus will not let us off the hook. Let's look at verse 37. And the father himself, he says, who sent me, has testified of me. There it is, as clear as it can be. And then he adds, you have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form, but you do not have his word abiding in you because him whom you sent, him you do not believe. He just will not know. I keep making the same point and John's gonna keep making it because we could have a tendency to forget it. He, all, he reminds us that there is one father and one son. It's as if Jesus says there in verse 38, again, you are not right with the father because you refuse to believe the one the father sent. You don't believe me? So you, you, you cannot have a positive relationship with God apart from the son. You just can't. He will not let us forget this. In this language of sent, the son is sent. John uses that 150 times in this gospel. In one sense, it's the main point. The father sent the son. 
And he gets to the end of the book and he says, so I send you. And it all comes to full circle. The father sent the son. The father confirms Jesus' claims. In what way specifically? I would think particularly at his baptism would be a place that the father did this. I think that's what John is referring to in chapter 1, verse 34. We quoted it before where John says, I am seen and testify that this is the son of God. I think that's the case because John in his gospel, the writer John, doesn't, doesn't, ta- doesn't, have a, doesn't uh, depict the scene of the baptism like Matthew, Mark, and Luke do. But of course, John the Baptist still would have known about it. I think that's what he's referring to. So the father, Jesus is baptized, inaugurating his ministry, and the father speaks from heaven and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now, what is that? The baptism of Jesus, the father, the father speaking over the son is the fatherhood moment. It's the penultimate fatherhood moment. Every, this is a little bit of a side note. Every fathers, we need to be like that father. What is that father doing? He's there. He's present. He's felt. He speaks. And what's the keynote? When the father speaks over his boy, pleasure. I am well pleased. That's a dad. That's a dad. The father testifies. And in every instance... When the son has the audacity to say, there is a father and there is a son, he works, I work, I receive life from him, he gives me the authority to speak judgment. Jesus begins to indict them in verse 37. And the father himself who sent me has testified of me. Look at this second phrase. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. Now, I think, I think, he's, starting to, I think he's starting to lurch right at these guys because what's gonna happen in just a moment is Jesus is gonna turn from the defense to the prosecution. And he's going to look right at these guys and he's going to say, I got some things to say about why you don't believe me. And I think he's starting to do that here. When he says you have neither heard his voice nor seen his form, I think it's this. Uh, the, Jews, uh, the Jews had this long history of, uh, of, of being those who heard from God. Uh, God. God spoke through Moses on the mountain. Uh, they had prophets. What does Jesus mean? I think he means this. You, right here, you Jewish, you Jewish leaders right here in front of me, in opposition to me, You have not seen his form. You have never heard his voice because you reject his form right in front of you. You don't don't receive me. You're not hearing his voice because I'm him and I'm talking. You've never seen his form because I'm him incarnate and I'm right here and you want to kill me. The father testifies of the son. So what we see here is that Jesus begins indicting these teachers in verse 37. You've neither seen his voice nor heard it. He's getting all over them. He's beginning to shift from reasons we ought to believe to reasons we do not believe. And he lurches right at them. He's going to start doing this in verse 40. He's going to lurch right at them. Just look, just, look at, just look at verse 40. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. Now, that's an interesting phrase. You are not willing to come. That's about desire. They don't want to do it. Why don't you come to Christ? Answer, because you don't want to. Well, that leaves, okay, so what does Christianity do? It offers new desires. It gives new affections. We want to taste other things. Other things are now appetizing to us. So, but right now we're not willing, and then he's going to say that they actually can't. In verse 44, they have an inability, not just an unwillingness. And so the father gives testimony, and as Jesus does this, he gives one other witness, and it's incredible. Witness number four, reason number four to believe, friends, the scriptures give reason. 
the scriptures. We see this in verse 39, this very famous phrase. Jesus says, you search the scriptures, for in them you think that you have eternal life, and it is these which testify of me. Now, Jesus is affirming their painstaking and technical study of the Bible. For this word search, your Bible may say pour over. This is diligent, devoted study. I mean, some of, the, some of these men had, uh, they, would, they would go through painstaking links to know God's word, to know the Bible, um, to, to really get into it. They would, they would take hours copying out a single letter to try to learn it. And they would count up the numbers because numerology was such an important idea to them to try to gain value. And Jesus, now, now he's going to get more to this idea of how the Old Testament is about him. I want to show you this. When he says scriptures, capital S, whenever you see that in the New Testament, that's a reference in the New Testament back to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the scripture, in the New Testament, excuse me, the scriptures are a reference back to the Old. And so he's saying the whole Old Testament points towards me. It prepares for me. It leads you to me. But they thought that the irony is they thought that in the study itself, in diligent and in their over-the-top law-keeping, they could merit eternal life. That could be one understanding. They actually thought in the actual study, it, it was part of this meritorious work that they would do to make them right with God. Or at least they would miss the main point of the entire Old Testament. A thousand things we could say about this, friends. But in, but in essence, the Old Testament is this three-fourths of your Bible intended in predictions and promises, allusions and foreshadowings. In, 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 a, in a myriad of ways to lead us to the Messiah. It's promises made and promises kept. It's going back. It's, it's living on this side of the cross in the resurrection. Everything Jesus said, everything Jesus did, and then scouring back to the Old Testament and saying, it's gotta be him. That's how Christians read the Bible. And he says they missed it. They missed it. They testify of me. Witness number four, the scriptures testify, uh, testify of me. Four witnesses, each giving us reason to believe the claims that Jesus makes about himself. The question is, do we believe him? Do we believe? He doesn't say it for his sake. He says it for us that we may be saved. Now, friends, let's move on to number two. Number two, there are reasons we do not believe Jesus. He tells us in this passage there are reasons we do not believe Jesus. He moves from the prosecution to the defense, and he gives the first reason that we do not believe him. He says this, number one, friends, the first reason that we do not believe in Jesus, that you may not be believing in Jesus or your neighbor is not believing in Jesus, is this, we are centered on self. We are centered on self. He says in verse 40, you are not willing to come to me. He says in verse 41, I do not receive honor from men. What he means there is, I'm not the kind of Messiah who's concerned about politicizing my every act so as to gain the favor of fickle, faithless men who only want yes men around them. I'm not that kind of Messiah. When he says honor, he doesn't mean that we don't give Jesus honor and glory. We do do that. He means he's not concerned about the kind of honor these self-centered men are willing to give him. He's not that kind of Messiah. He's going to get to John chapter 6 next week. And, and, and I don't know if we'll get to it. But there's a long section in John chapter 6 where he feeds the 5,000. And, and the crowd wants to come and make him king. They're like, oh yeah, sign me up, free food. Exactly. Jesus will have none of it. He says, you don't, you, you're not about this because you saw the signs and believe in me. You want a full belly. That's the kind of honor he's not concerned about. He's concerned about real honor from people that have rejected themselves. Notice, just let's cut to the point. Verse 43, he says, if someone comes in their own name saying everything you want to hear, you'll receive him. Look at the question in verse 44. How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? 
That's the kicker. Now, that's a rhetorical question, verse 44, isn't it? In other words, it's a question that's making a statement. His point is this. You cannot believe. You who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God. Friends, the context of verses 40 to 44, the first idea helping us understand reasons we do not believe is the darkness, the futility, the emptiness, the brokenness, the, 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 the this disillusionment of our self-centered selves. And we know as Christians that the fundamental human problem is a curving in on ourselves. That we are lost because we make ourselves king and that we are lost because man's opinion matters more than God's because man is big and God is small. Grace Church, God needs to be big. He needs to be as big as he actually is. Not like a microscope where you make something small look bigger, but like a telescope where you bring something big into focus. There's a difference. This isn't microscope stuff. This is telescope stuff. What we do here on Sundays and in your community groups and everything we do, we're trying to hold up a telescope and say, look at that. That's their problem. How, Jesus says, how on earth can you glory in me as Savior when your greatest concern is glory from one another? They're man pleasers. And so are all of us. So am I in our natural state. In John 12, 43, uh, deliberately speaking to the scribes and Pharisees in that context, he says, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. The love of praise as the root of unbelief. How is this? How does it, how does it keep us from doing it? Well, friends, think about what it means to become a Christian in the first place and to trust in Jesus. To become a Christian, we must turn away, even outright reject the ways of the world, the pull of the crowd, the virtues and values that are in season and embrace an entirely different way of life. To become a Christian, you have to do this fundamental act. You have to die. Die to who? What, what did I have to do when I became a Christian? I had to die to a lot of things. Preeminently, me. Friends, Christianity is a call to everybody who's fed up with them. Where, where did I get myself? In all of the mess. I think, I th- I think Paul described the Christian life in, Gal- in Galatians 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. Okay, what did you do to somebody crucified? Okay, you killed him. Paul said, okay, that, what's Paul saying? I died. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's the Christian life. Friends, if you want to come to Christ and you're like, man, I am just, I, I am, I am just messed up and I think it's all my fault, perfect. That, that, what perfect? Perfect. That's the best thought to think right here, right now. Because Jesus is ready for the person who's, who's ready to be done with them. They just love, they just love the praise, man. These, these Jewish leaders, they love nothing more than somebody, say, than somebody saying, woo. Jesus in Matthew 5 says, you, you, you go out on the busiest street corners and oh, pray. And what's that? They want to be praised for what they do. They're not concerned about God's glory. So what are they going to do? Come to a foolish Messiah who's going to be hung on a cross? That's not nearly respectable enough for them. They're not willing to say it will cost me everything, their opinion and my life to come to Christ. But friends, all we do is gain everything. I mean, look, it costs us, it costs us to follow Jesus. It costs us way more not to follow Jesus. I mean, I, it, way more, way more. We are centered on self. Here's the second reason we do not believe Jesus. The second reason we do not believe Jesus is because we fail to understand the point of the law of Moses. 
We fail to understand the point of the law of Moses. We're back to the scriptures, this incredible, these incredible verses, verses 45 to 47. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses. Now that's a big name drop right there. Big name drop. In whom you trust. They called themselves the disciples of Moses. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. Now catch this phrase. It's simple and it's profound. It's classic John style writing. For he wrote about me. Moses is attributed as the author, correctly, of the first five books of the Bible, Genesis to Deuteronomy, what's called the Torah. And Jesus just said, Moses has a subject, Moses has a character, and it's me. But if you do not believe his writings, how then will you believe my words? Because he testifies about me. How simple could it be? The irony, you missed the main point. These men who painstakingly went over the law, who gave themselves to the Torah, Genesis to Deuteronomy, you missed the main point, me. He wrote of me. I am Moses' subject matter. I am his focus. I am his chief character. Now again, is he, does he have a specific passage in mind? Probably, probably, and among other things, and inviting us to a particular reading of the Old Testament that leads us to see predictions and promises and illusions and foreshadowings, preparing the way, making it straight, getting us ready for a Savior who would come. Think about it, friends. Have you ever read the books of First and Second Kings? The whole story is about how bad these kings are. The whole point is this. We need another king. We need another king. We need another king. Jesus is, he's helping us understand that there's, there was a first Adam and there is a second Adam. And that, and that first Adam we were lost and the first Adam were raised up. There's a better Isaac who was offered up as a sacrifice. Jesus is the ark of Noah that when we enter, and how many boats were there? One, when we enter that boat, we escape the, del, the, 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 the destruction of God's wrath. He's the ladder in Jacob's dream. He is the Passover, the blood sprinkled over the doorposts of our lives that ensures that we will never fall under God's judgment. He's the serpent on the pole, all who look at him and live. Friends, we can't miss him. He's where everything's going. And they missed him. And, and the irony, he says, I don't need to accuse you. Moses has said enough. He said, enough. What more do you need? Jesus tells that parable in Luke. He says, they've got Moses and the prophets. The, the Lazarus and the, and the rich man, that story. He says, they got Moses and the prophets. What, what else more do you need? Now, friends, those are reasons we should believe Jesus, and those are reasons we do not believe Jesus. Let me give two statements as we bring this to a close. Just two statements. First, on, in light of this passage, we have good reason to believe Jesus. We have good reason to believe Jesus. We need to settle today. Now, now here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing. The, the kind of man who said the kind of things that Jesus said and did the kind of things Jesus did, remember, uh, I and the Father are one. Uh, I have the power to raise the dead, and I have the authority to judge everyone. Look, uh, what you, you, um, if someone came into this room right now, just walked down the aisle and just said, I have an announcement for everybody. Whatever you see God do, I do. And whatever I do, God does. And there's going to be a day when I'm going to speak really loud and everybody who's ever died in the ground is going to come up and they're all going to go to a throne that I'm going to be sitting on and I'm going to judge them. Now, you've only got a couple of options when somebody says that. One, dude's crazy. That's legit. That's a legit option. You've heard, you've seen people that are, that are, that have, that have, that that are, that are limited in some way. And they said, that's, that's an option. He's just, he's crazy. 
If, listen, I'm pressing, for, I'm pressing us to settle this. If we think that, reject him. What do you want to have to do with a crazy man? Reject him. Don't give your life to that. You have another option. He's fully cognizant. He's in his right mind, and he's lying about who he is. None of it's true. Right? In which case, we need to do away with this idea that Jesus is a good man. That does not, those, are, those are horrific lies that people have given their lives for. He's not a good man. In that case, if you think, I think, he's, I think he's full of it, and I think his disciples are full of it, despise him. There's a third option. He's exactly who he says he is. And if he is, settle this today. Complete allegiance, total surrender, period. That's all you got. Look, reject him, despise him, bow your knee to him. Just don't ignore him. He just said he's going to raise you from the dead and judge you and me. That's not someone you ignore. Friend, this is the best place to be fed up with yourself and to transfer your trust onto Christ. We mentioned these cards. You could, you could put your name here on the backside. You could check, today I accepted Jesus. Or you just want to talk to other people about what it means to follow Christ. You could do that. What I'm saying is this. Settle, let's all settle this in our mind. Who is he? Believer, leave today. If you're a believer saying he's exactly who he says he is. Or leave thinking, I don't know. Or let us know you'd like to talk more. Statement number two, friends. Jesus is still calling witnesses. Jesus is still calling witnesses. He's still asking us to testify to who he is and to what he's done. Can you put those words up on the screen for me there, guys, from Luke 24? This is Jesus again explaining how the whole Bible is about him. This is Luke 24 uh, on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe, what's the word, in all that the prophets have spoken. Go ahead. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and entered into his glory? Now, look at this. And beginning at, what's the name? Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures. He's making the point, like all of it. Can you imagine this Bible study Jesus gave? In all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. There it is. That's Jesus telling us how to read the Bible. Now go back to that other slide for me. Let me, let me show you this question here. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and entered into his glory? I think that little question is Jesus saying, here's the main point of the Old Testament. The Messiah would suffer and enter into his glory. He said, let me give you the main point. Here's what it's all saying. He'll die and he'll rise. Every time we take the Lord's Supper together, and Marty quoted it, the end of 1 Corinthians 11, or the end of that section, Paul says this, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Do you know what that means, friends? He's entered into his glory. He is enthroned. The seat of David is occupied. The king reigns. Now, it's an already and a not yet. We're still waiting on some stuff. But he reigns right now. And every single time we take the bread and we take the cup, every single time you speak, you speak a good word about Jesus here, every single time, if you were to trust in Christ today, yet again, it rings out, long live the king. Long live the king. In the year that King Uzziah died, we see the Lord seated upon a throne, high and lifted up. Friends, that's what we get to witness to. Is it any wonder that the Bible says how beautiful are the feet of those that preach good news? We get to say these things. Friends, let's settle it in our hearts and let's witness for him. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you were so kind and good to give us your word. I pray that what we worked out, you would work in. I pray that we, would, we were taught good things, that will be, the change will go deep in each of us, laying aside a burden, trusting in Christ for the first time, settling in our minds as believers yet again, complete allegiance, total surrender. That's, all Jesus, that's exactly what Jesus is asking of me. And we'll go out of here screaming, life, life, eternal life. And so, Lord Jesus, do all the good things that you intend to do for us today. In your great name we pray, amen, amen. Thank you, friends.